0: Trust in Jesus is the most valuable thing that you can have. If you lack everything else, but you have that, you will know exactly what to hold tightly and you will know what to hold loosely. We got a really good taste of that. Last week as Paul held ministry personnel and practices loosely. Do you remember that? Barnabas left. Circumcision. Let's do it. He knew those things come and go because they're not intrinsically tied to salvation. But he held tightly to grace and to the integrity of the gospel. That remains. That must not be compromised. Trade everything but grace, I think was the title. This week we're going to see that, but we're going to see it applied to the trenches. We're going to see it applied to day-to-day mission. Paul and his new ministry companion, Silas, are beginning this miss- missionary journey and they're going to show us today what to hold loosely and what to hold tightly in deciding where to share the gospel. In deciding to who we share the gospel with. In deciding when it's right to offend. Even in deciding how to handle unjust suffering. They'll do it well because they trust Jesus. He is the most valuable thing that they have. So let's see this mission begin. In John chapter six or uh, Acts chapter sixteen, verses six through twelve, and as I read this, I want you to pay attention to something. I want you to pay attention to how clear the path is for Paul and Silas as they figure out where to spread this unstoppable kingdom of God. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting uh, sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to, to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. So the first thing that the author of this book, Luke, is showing us is that You should hold loosely where you expect God's kingdom to advance. You should hold that loosely. So how clear is the path? Did you notice? Verse 6 implied that Paul and Silas had perhaps expected to serve in Asia, but they were forbidden. And we don't know exactly what that looked like, only that they did not go. So in verse 7, they aim for Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Then they go to Troas, and while we're there, in verse 8, Paul gets a vision to go somewhere else, Macedonia. I want you to pay attention to how disorganized this looks. This is about a 500-mile journey on foot. It is not a straight line at all. And during this trip, no churches are planted, no leaders are appointed, and it concludes with a vision that redirects them about a hundred miles across the Aegean Sea to Greece. Could you imagine a missions board funding this? (laughs) Where are you gonna go? and wait until Paul gets to Macedonia. <laughs> now I say that kind of jokingly, but this is a very large, very strange mission trip. And it's actually going to get a lot more strange. I want you to look at the outline of Acts in your bulletin. If you look the one that's bolded, this missionary journey is starting now, and Paul is going to make 6 major stops. In your bulletin section there, and this is the first one, Philippi. And in every case, Paul is going to have mounting opposition. So there's going to be some opposition today, and then you're going to see more and more and more. But yet, we're going to see his innocence on display every time. And you know what? I think even here in this first point, we see a little bit of that innocence on display. He's not stumbling around or conniving. He's simply going where the Holy Spirit tells him. And he trusts the leading. He's not rubbing his hands in the corner. It's like what, what we're reading here is, it's like God is the author and he's describing Paul as the pencil. That's what this mission looks like. Now, just consider verse, verse 10, because while things look very unclear, things are clear enough because Paul has a vision of a man asking for help, and his response is to immediately go. Trust in Jesus is the most important thing he has. Now, I've got some applications about that, but let me first confuse you a bit more. Let me explain this second thing that we have to hold loosely and then we'll hit all the applications there. So in verse 12, Paul and Silas get to Philippi and it's described as a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. So it's a rich city and it's colonized by Rome. You remember Rome, right? <laughs> they don't like trouble. <laughs> they like money. They like order. Now keep that opposition in mind as I read the next three verses starting with verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So here's the second thing Luke is telling us to hold loosely, and that is through whom you expect God's kingdom to advance. So here's what happens. Paul and Silas get there. This is, a, by the way, Macedonia is like 2 million square miles. And they just park it in Philippi. Nobody said Philippi in the dream. It's a man from Macedonia. So they go there. They don't know exactly where they're going. They finally find a house of prayer. Maybe they're looking for the man from this dream. I don't know. But who do they find? They find women. They don't find a man at all. Now, I like women. I like one in particular. (laughs) But historically speaking, this is not how you expect to launch a ministry. Now, here in Philippi, trade rules, money's good, women are in power, Lydia's one of them. But, I mean, in terms of culture, in terms of history, this is not how you would expect to launch a movement. But you see, God has this habit where he uses women to accomplish his purposes at a time when women rarely made history. Jesus saved a town through a Samaritan woman, John 4, and women witnessed Jesus' resurrection first in Luke 24. Among other things, Jesus was supported by women. So here... Paul and Silas speak to women, and one of them, Lydia, is saved. She's the first convert in Greece, as far as we know. And she's going to prove to be a key laborer, even though she's not even a local. She's not from there. She's from Thyatira. So what keeps Paul and Silas faithfully preaching the gospel... Sharing the gospel with whoever, despite such a long, strange journey, not a lot of answers so far, and such unlikely allies at first. Trust in Jesus is the most valuable thing that they have. We'll go here. Sure. We'll preach the gospel to them. Okay. It's fine. They don't need a detailed list. They're just happy to go, and they're happy to share And they don't worry about those details. So how does this apply to us? Hold loosely where and through whom you expect God's kingdom to advance. So in other words, you do the same. Now often I hold this tightly when I shouldn't. And maybe you too. Maybe you do too. See, I want to know, and maybe if I really want to share, I also kind of want to control... Um, where God is sending me, for example. Or just things don't feel right unless, you know, my calling is like underlined. Um, Some of you know that Becky and I have been eager to pursue a vision trip in North Africa. I kind of mentioned it a couple years ago. Um, You see, when we got married, we were like maybe foreign missions, maybe North Africa. Becky had experience there. Seemed like a decent idea. Maybe if we have kids, maybe when we get older and they leave the house, we'll, you know, sell everything and go over there. That's kind of what we were leaning towards. But then we actually have kids. And we're like, you know, maybe we could all go. I don't know. Maybe. Right? So a couple years ago, I, we start working towards that just a little bit, just dipping our toes in. I take a trip over to London with a team. I told you about that. So far, so good. Right? Then we're like, all right, Dan needs to go. Dan needs to go to North Africa. Becky maybe, but Dan definitely needs to go because he's never been there. All right, so we start asking questions and we start thinking about it and praying about it and I book a trip. And then COVID happened. And the trip was canceled. It wasn't postponed, it was canceled. Okay, all right. In the meantime, Becky and I decided to build equity. And we're like, okay, we'll buy a house here. It's not like we're like anchoring for 30 years. You just figure it's the next logical move. You know, we're currently squishing five people into 900 square feet and one of them's a toddler. Okay, we'll buy a house. So after months of searching and considerations and many offers, nothing. Nothing. Unprecedented lack of inventory. Have you seen it out there? (laughs) Our realtor said, I've never seen anything like it. He's been doing it for about 20 years. I kind of feel like I'm in a waiting room. Have you ever felt like that? I feel like Paul and I'm just drifting through Asia. So what causes Becky and I to be faithful here? Knowing that trust in Jesus is the most valuable thing that we have. And it just comes out like this, okay? I'll be honest, it doesn't always come out neatly, but it usually comes out like this. Well, apparently... God knows something that we don't. All right. We'll serve Him here. And we'll keep being faithful. We're not just going to wait to be faithful until we get to that thing that we want. God might have something much, much better. So, how about knowing who God is working through? How about that? I can't tell you how many students I met in college or how many neighbors I've uh, met Uh, through the eight years or so that I've been living where we have. And my instinct with some of them, it always goes like this. I meet one and they're like me or they talk like me or whatever. And I say, there's a key contact and they're not. Has that ever happened to you? You think, man, God's working in this one. No. Or you meet somebody and you're like, not him. Yeah, yeah, God's working in them. And you get totally surprised. That happens all the time and you know what? That stuff teaches us a lot about God. If we slow down and we think about it, it teaches us a ton about Him. He doesn't want you to be preoccupied with your own expectations or even your own preferences. He wants you to be preoccupied with Him. How does that work? You're free to make plans. He's free to change him. You can plan to go to Asia. He might not open that door. Or North Africa. And you're free to strategize with people. And he's free to blow up your spreadsheet. Now as you do that, as you trust him, you begin to hold Him tightly and so these things get held loosely. It's not that you give up trying things. You're just not governed by those things happening or not. And when you hold God tightly, you begin to share Him wherever you are. And when you do this, something else happens. You often get into trouble with people who don't hold God tightly. Wherever you are here or there or wherever you want to be, whenever you faithfully share the gospel, whenever you hold Jesus tightly, you will get into trouble with people who don't. But that's actually how God's kingdom grows. And we're going to see this happen with Paul and Silas as I continue with the story. Let me start with verse 16 and I'll keep going. As we were going to the place of prayer... We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul having become greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of the, in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that her hope, that their hope of gain was gone, they seized fallen and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're deserving our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So we're going to get into holding stuff tightly. And here's the first thing that Luke tells us to hold tightly. It's offending the right gods. You see, in this polytheistic, worship many gods, wealthy town, Greek gods were the trend. And this slave girl had a spirit of divination, a false spirit. And she could legitimately tell your future and that was being exploited for money. So this woman is following Paul and Silas for days very loudly. And what's surprising is that she's actually saying true things. She's saying good things. So why is Paul annoyed? Well, aside from the volume factor, they're in a polytheistic town. And I think Paul doesn't want this spirit who everybody knows, that's who this girl is worshiping, he doesn't want that spirit to get an ounce of glory. So he just casts it out. And in that, we learn something big. This missions trip begins... Not simply with a humanitarian story of freeing a slave, though that happens and that is good. This is Paul, in the name of Jesus, flicking a Greek god off his shoulder. This is God's glory arriving in Macedonia. So what happens? Well, there's no evidence that this woman actually gets saved. I think we just kind of assume that happens. But it just says the false spirit left her. And then in verse 19, she loses her ability to predict the future and make money. And the masters, the men, they get very offended. You might say their God of money has been threatened. And so these men dragged Paul and Silas to the magistrates. And a magistrate was a civil officer, kind of like a judge. And they lay some pretty serious charges. Are these charges warranted? Are Paul and Silas being a disturbance? Not really. I mean, if anything, this loud woman is the one being the disturbance. Paul and Silas have simply trusted Jesus and they want him to be central. They've even freed a slave. So how does this apply? Hold tightly to offending the right gods. This woman is religious, that's all, in a rich place that worships every god except the one that matters. Welcome to State College, right? Does that sound familiar? Got the money? Got the polytheism? Sure. So for you, Christian, as you meet religious, even church-going people, don't assume all is well just because they're saying the right things. Even if they're saying them loudly. Don't fall for it. Instead, spend a couple days with them. Spend time with them. If you do that, you will find out what actually motivates them. So in this fast-paced town, slow it down and get to know people. Because maybe, like in this story, you do that, and this person seems fine. Somebody comes in here, maybe somebody in here. But underneath, like in this story, the gods of money are lurking. Be willing to press in, even if it offends. Even if you're accused of being a disturbance. Because otherwise, you're going to be offending the wrong god. So Paul and faithful Paul and Silas do that faithfully because their trust is in Jesus. Their trust is the is in the one thing that matters. And as a result, for their loyalty, for their bravery, for their clarity, for their mercy on this poor slave girl, let's see what happens to them. I'm going to continue starting in verse twenty two the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordered the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prisoner doors, prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, "Do not harm yourself, for we're all here." And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. So the second thing Luke tells us here to hold tightly to is prioritizing gospel opportunity in unjust suffering. Now I do need to add for context something that we already know as we think about this scene. Paul is a Roman citizen. We're going to find that out later if we don't know it already. So this mob, this beating, this imprisonment in a Roman colony without a trial, totally unacceptable. It's unacceptable anyway, but it's like extra unacceptable. I'm not sure why Paul hasn't mentioned it. it doesn't say. It. it could be that the mob drowned him out, or maybe he's decided I'm not leaving. I'm not doing anything until I meet this guy from the dream. But in the meantime, doesn't it seem hopeless in that cell? 500 mile journey, faithful following, and it ends in prison. Or it looks like it's going to end there. And yet, even in the darkness, Paul and Silas pray and sing to Jesus. I mean, that's a whole sermon right there. But then in verse 26, an earthquake hits and the prisoners are set free. What would you have done? Would you have ran? I probably would have. And the suffering. But Paul's concern is not his freedom or even his exoneration yet. Now this, this scene is, is really significant. We've had three divine jailbreaks in the, the book of Acts now, but this one's different because the man does not leave. Instead, he calls for the jailer who in verse 27 is set to kill himself. Paul stops him. And then in verse 30, this trembling jailer asks the question that we'd all love to be asked if we were out on an evangelistic trip. Sir, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And this man who had been imprisoned or who had imprisoned Paul and Silas instead frees them and there's a baptism and a party. This is a this is a big event, and I don't think the big uh, the big event is Paul's exoneration, but it's the jailer's exoneration. Is this the man from the dream? Maybe. This is how God's kingdom takes a leap forward in Philippi, where a jailer is willing to go up against the government. How did Paul and Silas do it? How did they not run? Trust in Jesus is the most valuable thing that they have. It caused them to go to unexpected places and share Jesus with unexpected people. It caused them to offend false gods. It caused them to unjustly suffer. Jesus was worth all of that to them. And because of that, now Jesus is the most valuable thing that this jailer And his family have. Isn't that worth a beating? A little jail time? Here's what this tells us about Jesus. Jesus is the greater Paul. And he's the greater Silas. Jesus emptied himself. And he took the form of a servant. Philippians 2. So he too held loosely... Not desiring equality with God is a thing to be grasped. He held loosely where he would serve and he walked among us. And he even ultimately submitted to the Father and went to the cross. He held loosely who would be his key players. The disciples who may have seemed to the casual observer to be, I don't know, the wrong candidates. On the other hand, here's where he held tightly to he held tightly to offending the right gods. He was willing to offend very much those who abuse their power and the nation of Israel and those who worship false gods. He too held tightly to suffering unjustly at the hands of a mob. I mean, Paul was a Roman citizen. Jesus was a citizen of heaven. Yet like Paul and Silas, in the darkness, he saved those who attempted to hold him there, even though they failed, and they deserved to die. Jesus' enemies became friends over a meal, but here's the difference. Jesus was the meal. He didn't get out of jail, he died. (laughs) How does this apply? When you suffer unjustly, don't be consumed with your freedom or your exoneration. Notice I didn't say don't pursue it ever. Don't be consumed by it. Be consumed rather with Jesus. Perhaps God has you in a dark corner so the gospel can shine there. Someone lies about you? Somebody gets you thrown in jail, you can free people there. And a freedom that hits differently than a jailbreak. See, Paul held tightly to these right things because his trust in Jesus was the most valuable thing that he had. And I think even if he would have died in prison, he would have been okay with that. Because he was already exonerated by Jesus. Jesus. But yet, like his near-death stoning in chapter 14, if you remember that, God wasn't done with Paul yet. So let's see the exoneration. I'll begin to close with um, verses 35 through 40. When it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let these men go. And the jailer reported to Paul, saying, These magistrates have said to let you go. Therefore, come out and go in peace." But Paul said, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and took them out and asked them to leave The city, so they went out of prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So the final thing Luke wants us to hold tightly to is the inevitability of kingdom advancement. So these, this plan to, uh, keep Roman order, ironically through mob rule, has backfired. Paul gets exonerated. Magistrates get humbled. And here's the point. Remember, as we're working through the, the outline here, these men aren't troublemakers. They're innocent. God was leading them. So Paul actually uses his innocence as leverage to advance God's kingdom. Here's how he does it. He could have quietly left, you know, I dodged a bullet, guys, and he runs but in verse 37, he demands a public apology. <laughs> it's like he wants to get thrown back into prison again or something. He wants people to know he's innocent. That's what's happening. We're not trouble. In verse 39, the magistrates then sheepishly ask Paul and Silas to leave. But in verse 40, instead, not, oh, dodge a bullet and runs. He takes his time to plant a few more seeds before he leaves. Or maybe I'd say water them. They go visit Lydia and they encourage others who are now part of this growing movement. They went to Macedonia triumphantly led by God. They didn't stumble there. And they didn't dodge a bullet when they left. They're on the offense. Because God's on the offense the whole time. And here's how they do it. They are holding tightly to the right thing. They trust Jesus. It's the most valuable thing that they have. And so even as they're leaving, they're saying Jesus the whole way out. So they know that the only way the world can even appear to stop them is by cheating. And that doesn't work either. The growth of God's kingdom is unstoppable. So here's how the original audience would have taken all this. Jesus' kingdom advances not because his people know where or even through whom his kingdom will advance, but because they trust him. So they don't have to be burdened by their own expectations. And that's good because nobody loves going to jail. And if you knew, I think, that that's how your next mission trip was gonna play out, you might not go. (laughs) But if you hold tightly to the gospel, God is a God of details. So I want you to help, I wanna help set your mind on that and your heart too. There's actually freedom in living like this. That's what Becky and I are learning. God can grow his kingdom anywhere and he can do it through anyone. Again, you're free to make plans, but he's free to change them. You're free to strategize. He's free to blow up your spreadsheet, but that's good news because maybe God knows something you don't. He knows best. And so he is worth your trust wherever you are. One final application for those who have not committed their lives to Jesus, or if you're just not sure if you trust Him. You may have heard preachers say that Christianity exists for this reason, to give you a purpose and a direction for your life. Have you heard that one? Hopefully not here. (laughs) But the problem with that is that just kind of makes life about you and your purpose. But praise God, it's really not about you. It's about his kingdom. And the direction Christianity actually gives you is this. Follow Jesus. Follow him to unexpected places and see his kingdom grow through unexpected people. Follow him in boldly offending false gods. Follow Him to prison, even to death. You can hold tightly to Him because trust in Him is the most important thing you will ever have. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank You so much for uh, the trust that comes with being a Christian. Lord, it's amazing that You're even a God who allows us to trust you. That even reveals some of your will. Lord, there are aspects of your will that, so to speak, we may never know. But Lord, would you help us in our lives, whether we're going to unexpected places, or we're wondering who God's working in, or we're wondering if now's the time to speak up against um, false gods, or now isn't, or what we're going to do when, when we offend certain people and the um, insults come and the, the public pressure comes. Lord, would you help us to trust you and would you help us as a body of believers to encourage one another to trust you? Amen.